0: Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. Amen. Can you give the Lord a hand as you're seated this morning? Great to see you this morning. And uh, let's have that up here just in case. I'm popping a little bit, snap, crackle, pop. So we're going to go with this just for a little bit and see what happens here. Glad you're here this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, would you take them, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. If you're joining online, I'm going to welcome you as well. I'm going to pop over to this other microphone if you don't mind. Even if you do mind, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to have them up there, ready? There we go, we've had a little issue with that, I'm just going to keep Again. There we go. We're going to do that. Had a little bit of an issue, and uh, I've got a little bit of a short in my in my circuit, so to speak, but, uh, you know, pa- Pastor Ann, i got to tell you, this whole weekend, she's been making fun of this communion stuff, and you, I've had to do it four times now. I mean, everybody thinks I put on weight during the coronavirus. No, I haven't. This is, this is communion. <laughs> Just those little wafers. They suck up stuff, but anyway... Second Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to spend some time over the last uh, number of weeks, I've been working through the word of God and as we were leading up to Easter, um, I read through the gospels for my own personal journey and then since then I've been working through the, the book of Acts and on into the Pauline epistles and today we're going to focus in on something that, that struck me a few weeks ago. One of the things that's been hitting on this whole coronavirus thing has been early on is uh, the, the whole thing about testing Man, we got to get a test. We need more tests. There's got to be all these tests. And so everybody was like frustrated because you couldn't get a hold of a test and then you had to get a test and and then if you did get a test, they didn't know whether or not it was going to be a, po- a false positive and there was all these things about tests. In fact, I kind of lost track a little bit because uh, uh, I, I just... I started getting a little frustrated because all I was hearing 24 hours a day was coronavirus. And so, so I just kind of stopped watching the news and then about one, about 30 minutes a week, I would turn on the TV, find out if there was anything new I needed to know and then I turn it off again. So I went to the CDC website just this last week, and evidently there are two kinds of tests that you can get for this coronavirus. And the the first one is the viral test, which tells you whether or not you have an active infection. So we need to have those tests. And then they have this antibody test, which evidently indicates whether or not you've had coronavirus. If you want to know whether or not you've had it or you uh, test it, evidently that will indicate it as well. Well, it's in the context of that that this passage of Scripture really struck out to me. And it's second it's, uh, Corinthians chapter 5, sorry, second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. And it's just a little rabbit trail. But I've learned that when God takes you on a rabbit trail, you ought to find it or follow it. Because when God takes you on a rabbit trail, it may not be convenient for you to do it. But the Holy Spirit usually is trying to speak to you about something. And so as oftentimes will happen, I'll read in scripture and then something will just strike me. And then I feel like I need to take some time to really study it. And here's what knocked me down. I looked at this passage, verse 5. Here's what it says. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. And I waited for Paul to give me the test, right? What are the, hey, wait, wait, where's the test? I'm not, I don't get it. Where's the test at? I, I missed it somewhere. Where's the test at? Paul says this, he says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless of course you have failed the test. And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. the test. Now i to be honest with you, I, I look at this and I'm like... Wait a minute, what's the test? What's the test to see whether or not I'm in the faith? And now I, I know that I'm a believer. I know I'm walking with the Lord. But if somebody came to me, which by the way, happens quite a lot. People will talk to me and I get calls quite a lot. Even during this time, I was getting calls, people wondering if they were really saved. How do I know I'm saved? I'm not sure I'm saved. And, and so how do you come alongside somebody and kind of help them know for sure that they really are a believer in Jesus Christ? I don't know if any of you ever had this dream before. Uh, Those of you who are post high school, any of you ever have a dream that you were back in high school after you've graduated? Yeah, and did you ever, like you go to your locker and you can't remember the combination? Any of you have that one? This one happened to me actually a few weeks ago, and I'm not that crazy. I looked it up online, and they said I wasn't that nuts. This happens quite a bit. I went to a psychology site, but I have a dream that I'm, I'm in a class that I don't remember being in at all, and I'm in the final exam, and I forgot to go to class the entire semester. Any of you ever have that one? That happened to me like two weeks ago. I still haven't figured out what it means, but anyway, hopefully. So if you're nervous about somehow missing the test, this is not one of those that you have to be uncertain about. The, the reason for the message today is not to scare you. Today's message is all about affirming and assuring that we are believers in Jesus Christ and how we can know for certain so that we don't have to walk around wondering. The enemy wants us to be filled with confusion. He wants us to be insecure, but God wants to assure us that we are really his children and here's how we can do it. Now, rather than giving you test questions today, I'm going to give you testimony questions, all right? these are testimonies that you can assume that you will have if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Testimony number one is the testimony of trusting in God's faithfulness. Now, what I mean by that, and I said it this way on purpose, is it's the testimony of God's word and that you are accepting God's word as his word, as his promise, and you're relying on that. To say it a different way, what am I trusting in to get me to heaven? Am I trusting in my own ability? Am I trusting in what I've accomplished? Am I trusting in my track record? Am I trusting that I went to church this week? Am I trusting that I put something in an offering box or gave online? Am I trusting that I didn't do enough bad things and I did enough good things? Am I trusting in what I've done or am I trusting in what he has done for me? In verse five, he says, see that you are in the faith. I love how much God's word affirms that Christ died on our behalf, that he took our sins, that he forgives our sins, and that his blood covers our sins. Over and over in scripture, it indicates it's not how much I have accomplished, but what he has done on my behalf. Now, some of my favorite passages of scripture, Paul says this in Titus chapter 3. He says, but when the kindness, by the way, right before this, he says, we all messed up, okay? We all messed up in life and lived under our own devices. But when the kindness and love of God, our savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his, do you see it up there? Say it, mercy. Mercy means that we're not getting what we really deserve. His mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified, that word justified is a legal definition term. It means it's as if I never committed the crime. I have been been expunged from my record. Justified, that we have been justified by his grace. We might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. That passage is Paul teaches the gospel and he's giving it to Titus to share with others is that it's what God has done on my behalf. Now, John says it a little different way. In 1 John chapter five, the book of 1 John is a wonderful book because he wants to make sure people know what, that, that they really can know that they're saved. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of God's son. So that you may know that you have eternal life. He says, I write these things to those who believe in the name of God's son. Jesus said it this way. I mean, we might as well go to the master, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Over and over and over again, scripture promises that Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, he died for our sins as a payment for our penalty. And that by our believing in him, that means we've accepted what he's done on our behalf. We acknowledge what he's done on our behalf. We're trusting in what he has done on our behalf and we are putting all of our dependence on what he has done on our behalf. He says, you can know that you're saved. Paul said it again in Romans chapter 10. He says, those confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Now here's the deal. Are we trusting in his promise or aren't we? Now, if somebody makes you a promise and they have a history of lying to you, you don't want to believe them, do you? Or if somebody makes you a promise and there is no way that they could possibly keep that promise, you don't tend to trust them either. I'm going to make you guys a promise today. You ready for this? How many of you have a home mortgage? Raise your hand. Really? Okay, raise your hand. You've got a home mortgage. Any, okay, keep your hand up. Any of you have any school debt? Put it up. Okay, here I'm going to make a promise. I'm going to pay off all your student loans and I'm going to pay off your home mortgage. No, I'm not. (laughs) Why? Because I got to pay off my own home mortgage. I'm paying off my own house. I can pay my own house, but there's no way I can pay up. Why? I can't possibly fulfill the promise I just made to you. But when God makes you a promise, he is powerful enough to keep his promise. He has a track record of unfailing faithfulness that when God says, trust me, trust, believe in my son, I did this for you you can take it to the bank. So my question is simply, what am I trusting in? That's a good test question. What am I trusting in? Am I trusting in what God tells me to trust in or am I trusting in my own abilities? Number two, it's a second testimony. And I would tell you these are in the order of importance because I believe they're in the order of how they come. There is number two, the testimony of the Holy Spirit. He says, do you not know, verse 5 and 6, do you not know that Christ Jesus is in you? Now when he says that Christ Jesus is in us, he is indicating that the spirit of Christ is within us. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, if you have not the spirit of Christ, you have not Christ. So what what he's really saying is, is that the spirit of God has taken up residence within your life as you have trusted and believed on the promises that God has given in his word. And by the way, you should assume that there will be a testimony of the Spirit of God working in your life. And so that's a great test question. Do I, do I have a sense that God is affirming me? Do I have a sense of assurance? Do I have a sense that, in fact, Scripture over and over again gives that as a clear testimony. Let me give you a couple of them. 1 John chapter 3, verse 24. You'll notice that I am quoting three different authors in the New Testament. And the reason I do this is I want you to see this is not just Paul, but this is Paul, this is John, and then obviously Jesus Christ himself, that all, the, all, there's an agreement as we see this. John says, those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. He says it again in chapter 4, verse 13. He says, we know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Period. This is what he's doing in our life. Paul says in the same passage where he indicates that if we have not the spirit of Christ, we have not Christ. He says in chapter 8 of Romans, these words. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, one of the things that oftentimes happens in someone who's new in Christ or maybe someone who struggles a tad with knowing for sure they're a believer, the enemy always tries to accuse you and he always tries to look at the areas of struggle in your life or even the areas of doubt in your life and our feelings begin to get the better of us. That's why I always encourage people, let's base our feelings on fact and not our facts on feelings. The fact of God's word says that we can trust him that he is sufficient sacrifice for us, that if you believe in him, you accept him, you trust him, you're depending on him, that you really can know that you're saved. And there's a peace that comes from that, an affirmation. Um, in fact, isn't it interesting that Paul John says it this way, he says, to all who receive him, to all who believe in his name, he gives them the right to be called children of God. There is this sense of family where God's spirit affirms within your life that you truly are trusting him and he brings a peace that passes all understanding. So as I examine myself, I'm asking myself, what am I trusting? Am I trusting in myself? I've tried that a lot of years in my life. I found that never brought any kind of sense of peace, but when I finally surrendered and realized he did it on my behalf and that I had to depend and trust on him, there became this sense of God's Spirit working within my life, affirming me that I was his child. And I really could almost stop right there. I mean, if it really came down to it, those are kind of the two things I would say. What am I trusting in? And is the Spirit of God affirming and working in my life? But I find a lot of times that's just so counterintuitive. We have, a, we have a hard time accepting that. It seems too simple. Back in the 1950s, Betty Crocker came out with a cake mix. By the way, Betty Crocker, she's getting up there. She's been around for a long time. I think 1920s. By the way, Betty Crocker is actually, they have different characters. It's not literally a Betty Crocker. It was actually somebody who worked in their factory. name was Betty. That's why they named it Betty Crocker. It sounded like a wholesome name. By the way useless bit of information anybody know what the first product made by Betty Crocker was soup there you go tuck that away (laughs) someday I promise you're going to be there's going to be a radio show that offers you a prize and they're going to ask what was the first product Betty Crocker and when you win just remember me But in the 1950s, they came out with a cake mix and it didn't sell. It was too simple. They put out boxes and boxes of this stuff. Would not sell. The ingredients were very simple. The instructions, even I could follow. Open package. Dump contacts into a bowl. Add water. Stir, put in a cake pan, bake. Nobody believed you could have a cake that easy. So they pulled it off the shelves, they did all this marketing research, they had focus groups, and what they found out from women who primarily were the ones who were using this, what they found out is nobody believed you could have a good cake by just adding water. So after hundreds of hours of study and millions of dollars of redoing everything as far as marketing, their campaign, here's what they did. They added one egg. Flew off the shelves. That, t- In fact, even today, right? Open contents, pour in a bowl, add one egg, put in water, stir, cake mix. Millions of dollars. So this morning, I'm going to add an egg to this message. Number three, it is the testimony of fruit in your life. It is normal and it is natural where the seed of the gospel has been planted in your life, where the spirit of God is active in your life, that you ought to see some fruit growing from your life. What kind of fruit is that? Well, um, the fruit of obedience just simply means that I want to obey the Lord now I'm going to ask I, I'm, I know this is really simple but sometimes we need to be affirmed in some of these things how many would say I'm not asking if you do it I'm just asking does it make sense how many does it make sense that if you say you're a follower of Christ that you should probably do what he tells you to do how many think that makes sense Okay, and I'm not asking if you do it, I'm just asking if it makes sense, right? And so that's what God's word says. God's word says in 1 John chapter five, he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. This is how we we, we love, I'm sorry, this is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God to obey his commands and it's not a have to notice what he says that when I am simply reciprocating the love that God has shown me by rescuing me from my sins he says it makes sense that I would actually want to listen to him like a, a father or even a mother that I love and admire and they've cared for me and they've provided for me why would I not want to be like them and he says, "It makes perfect sense. therefore, if there are certain things in my life that are inconsistent with the Christian life and I am simply embracing them and not willing to reject them, that does not compute. I mean, I'll give you a couple of them, but I mean, I think we can kind of figure this out. If I say I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and yet I'm being unfaithful to my spouse, and I am in no way am I willing to reject that in my life, that doesn't compute. If I say I'm a follower of Christ and I'm stealing from the company, that doesn't compute. And so John says it's inconsistent. There ought to be, doesn't mean we're perfect, but it does mean we're progressing. And in those areas that we are not perfect and where we're not walking where we're supposed to, we're open to the spirit of God honing and shaping our lives. Through his conviction and through his enabling. The fruit of character means I ought to see some changes in my life. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. I love this. We could spend just days in this passage. The fruit of the Spirit, the byproduct of the Spirit of God working in the life of the believer is love, it's joy. It's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's gentleness, it's faithfulness, it's self control that I can expect in my life, that I begin to have a sense his love and his joy and his peace. Peace, not that everything's great at all times but no matter what happens in my life, the God of the universe is on my side and loves me. He's with me. Joy, not that I don't go through hardship and not that I don't weep. But underwriting all of that is a sense that I know I'm where I'm supposed to be with the Lord. And again, this is not about perfection. I, th- I get so discouraged because I don't make the progress that I want in a week. And you will make far less progress than you ever imagined you could make in a week. But you can do so much more in the course of five years, ten years than you ever imagined when the Lord is working in your life. I am in no way a perfect man. Is my wife in here? Yeah, she's probably back there right now. She's just wanting so bad just to go, amen, amen. I'm not a perfect man. I will tell you, I am a much better man than I was 10 years ago. And I will tell you that over the last 32, 33 years, gosh, longer than that, That as the Lord has changed my life, I am so different than who I used to be. And I get discouraged because I'm not yet who I want to be. And the enemy will just trip you up with that. But if you do just a little bit of reflection and you see what God has been doing in your life, you're encouraged by the testimony of fruit. Now notice what I said. I think it ought to go in that order. God's promises, his word, I'm de- what am I leaning in? When I'm de- depending and taking God at his word, there's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit and the word of God are at work in my life, I ought to see some fruit. Am I seeing that God is doing some stuff in my life? You don't have to wonder whether or not you're ready for the test. He says there's the fruit of love, there's the fruit of there's all kinds of fruit that's mentioned in scripture. There's the fruit of of Christ's likeness. I mentioned the fruit of peace. But is my life beginning to show that I've surrendered my heart and my life to Jesus Christ? And there is something about living in a sense of harmony and fellowship with the Lord that affirms me that when I examine my life may not be perfect but I know that I know that I am his and he is mine. Last month I was reading through some material and I came across a testimony or an essay from a high school junior her name is Billy K. Bothwell. She actually, she lives in, um, in Indiana, in Elwood, Indiana. Elwood is just south of Marion, Indiana. And uh, she had a high school, uh, she was a Christian girl, but she had a high school, uh, they gave her an essay, a journal uh, work that she had to write a paper. What would you do if you knew you only had a, a week to live? And so she wrote this, she wrote this paper. It's called The Last Week of My Life. She said, today I live and a week from today I die. If a situation came to me such as this, I would probably weep. But as soon as I realized that there were so many things to be done, I hope that I would try to regain my composure. The first day of my suddenly shortened life, I would use it to see All of my loved ones and assure them I love them. I wouldn't hint that there was anything wrong because I wouldn't want to remember them sorrowing but to be happy. I would ask God to give me strength to bear the rest of my precious days and give me his hand to walk with me. On the second day I would awake to see the rising sun in all of its beauty that I had so often cast aside for a few extra moments of coveted sleep. I would gather all my possessions and give them to the needy, trying to console them as much as possible and urge them to consult God for courage. On the third day, I would spend, I would spend it alone in the woods with the presence of God's creation and goodness and all of creation around me. In the sweetness of nature, I would sit and reminisce of my fondest memories. On my fourth day, I would prepare my will. The small sentimental things that I would leave to my family and friends, this being done, I would go to see my mother and spend the day with her. We have always been very close and I would want to reassure my love to her especially. Friday would be spent with my minister. I would speak to him about my spiritual life and then I would like to go with him to see others who were ill and silently be thankful that I didn't know any pain. Saturday, I would spend seeing the shut-ins. I'd so often put it off until another day and on this night before my death, I would probably remain awake fearing my impending death and yet I'd also be preparing for knowing that God was by my side upon waking Sunday morning I would make all my last and necessary preparations and then taking my Bible I would go to church to spend my last hours in prayer I would ask him for the courage to face the remaining hours that I might die gracefully. I would hope that my life had a bearing on someone and that it had glorified his holy name. This last hour would be spent in perfect harmony with my God. It's pretty good for a junior. And what makes that essay so powerful is that one week later to the day of her handing in that paper, she and three other teenage girls were involved in a car accident and she went home to be with the Lord. And I thought of this story this week because um, on May the 24th, I got, an, I got a text message from a, a buddy here that comes to church and uh, he was kind of bummed out and hadn't been able to be in church for th- several months. And at the end of the thing, he said, I can't wait to see you on June the 6th. I love you, buddy. And on June the 4th, I got the call that he had passed away. And I had his funeral this last week. And this isn't to be morbid, and this is not to be emotional, and this is not to be manipulative, but there is something about walking so currently in my relationship with others, and in my relationship with my heavenly Father, that whether or not today is the last day or not, I know that I'm walking where I'm supposed to be. And so Paul says, examine yourselves. And as we come to communion, we've been looking so forward to communion. We've done it online and it was a precious time. But we were really looking forward when we came back together to be able to look at the elements of communion and as a family take communion again. I mean, it's the gospel presentation in a symbol. The bread represents Jesus's body sinless, broken for us. The juice represents his blood shed for us on the cross. Scripture says that it's through the payment of his blood that we have the forgiveness of sins. And Paul says it again, when we have communion, It's good to examine yourself, not to be morbid, not to be in fear. But if there's areas of my life that aren't consistent, Lord, I wanna confess that. And as I take this communion, I'm saying, Lord, I have accepted you, I am accepting you, and I will accept you. By your strength, by your grace, I will continue to walk with you. So would you pray with me as we prepare today for communion? Father, I thank you for our love for us. And I even thank you for the challenges in your word. It's never because you hate me, it's always because you love me. And right now, Lord, we just simply want to thank you, Jesus Christ, for dying for our sins, for pursuing us. We acknowledge that you are the only hope we have for heaven and we depend completely on you. Thank you for loving me enough to give up heaven, to live a sinless life, to go to the cross, to shed your blood for my sins, to raise from the dead. Lord Jesus, today, I affirm again, I've said yes to you and I'm saying yes to you. And I wanna be a man, a woman, a child that honors you with my life. So would you sweep over this place, Holy Spirit, sweep over this place with your presence and your peace and your affirmation for all of those who are calling on your name. We thank you today in Jesus' name, amen. The word of God says that on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake in the body of Christ. And the word of God says that following the evening meal, Jesus said, this is the cup of my new covenant, my promise. He's able to keep this promise. It's my blood. He said, as often as you drink of this cup, do so in remembrance of me. Let's partake in the cup of Christ together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for loving us, affirming us. Your word says that when you left, you said, I won't leave you as an orphan. I will send another, the precious Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for affirming us in the faith. Continue to enable us to serve you and come before you and to experience fellowship in our walk with you. We love you today. In Jesus' name we pray.